The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts forever know His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Oh, the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ, the rock, is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome again to Pastor Yeshua. In part one of this episode, we began to take a look at the central claim and the cornerstone to Christianity. We pointed out that even outside of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is an issue for which the answer for every man, woman, and child bears eternal consequences. Since the stakes are so high, each person owes it to themselves to carefully examine and weigh the evidence before making a conclusion. We began by identifying 12 presumptive facts regarding the investigation and exploration of Jesus' resurrection. In part one, we discussed the presumptive fact that Jesus was crucified and Jesus died. In part two, we addressed the fact that Jesus' body was placed in a known accessible tomb, that Jesus' disciples were scattered abroad after Jesus' crucifixion, that the tomb where Jesus was buried was empty three days after his death, and that a large number of the disciples, both separately and together, said that they saw, touched, 
and ate together with Jesus after his death. In part two and three, we began to see how each of Jesus' disciples were psychologically transformed after his resurrection. In part four, five, and six, we began to ask what theory best fits all of the 12 presumptive facts. So far, we have examined eight of 17 theories and or allegations which generally represent the typical theories posed throughout history to explain Jesus' resurrection. The theories examined so far were 1. The disciples stole Jesus' body and preached Jesus as having raised from the dead. 2. The Jewish leaders took Jesus' body. 3. The Roman authorities took Jesus' body. 4. The women went to the wrong tomb. 5. Jesus resuscitated after having swooned and came forth. 6. The disciples had hallucinations. 7. The disciples made up the whole story. They were telling lies, and they knew they were telling lies. And 8. The gardener removed Jesus' body. So far, the theories presented have still failed to provide an effective explanation and have been found to be logically deficient. In this episode, we continue examining the remaining theories posited. First, we began with theory number 9. Jesus had a twin brother. Here again, this theory, like the other 16 theories, consciously or unconsciously stipulates to the presumptive truth of the following facts. A. Jesus was a historical person. B. Jesus was crucified. C. Jesus died. D. Jesus' body was placed in a known, accessible tomb and E, the tomb where Jesus was buried, was empty three days after his death. Now, as before, it would not make logical sense otherwise, because if Jesus had not been an historical person, then he would not be around to be crucified and die. Also, were there no authentic Jesus, then there would be no ability to suggest that Jesus had a twin brother. Further, if there had not been a known accessible tomb which was empty, then anyone could have visited Jesus' tomb and exhumed the authentic Jesus' body to expose the hoax. Thus, these five presumptive facts must exist as a factual basis for the above excuse to even be lodged as a potential valid explanation. As we continue our examination of this theory, we encounter the following problems. A. It would be necessary to assume that if Jesus had a twin brother, then all the disciples and even his mother and other siblings were unaware of it. Otherwise, it would be alternately necessary to believe that those who were aware of it either lied about it as part of some conspiracy in hopes to get afloat a new religion for which there was no knowing what would become of it. We would also have to assume that this brother would be willing to remain in hiding from those who would be unfriendly to the idea of a future scheme of defrauding the world. 
that brother would then have to be willing to come out of hiding and for 40 days lie to his mother, siblings, the disciples, and the world in order to fool them into believing that he was in fact his dead brother. Afterwards, this brother would then have to be willing to go back into hiding for the rest of his life and never be seen by his mother, siblings, the disciples, or the world for fear of being branded a liar. B. Apart from this theory itself, there is absolutely no historical evidence to support that Jesus had a twin brother who carried out the above plot. C. Just having a twin brother would be insufficient in itself to explain Jesus' resurrection. We would still have to explain an empty tomb ultimately. This brings us to the fourth and fifth of our presumptive facts. 1. Jesus' body was placed in a known accessible tomb. If the tomb was unknown or inaccessible, then surely the moment that Jesus' twin brother appeared and or the disciples and others began preaching Jesus' resurrection, the Jewish and or Roman authorities would have utilized all of their resources to locate Jesus' tomb and produce his body and uncover the lie. Under this circumstance, this theory would have us believe that no one tried or was able despite the tomb being in Jerusalem where the plot would have been ground zero. If the tomb was known and accessible, then we are to believe that even worse, the Jewish and Roman authorities were just too tired and busy to bother themselves with opening Jesus' tomb, produce his body, and defeat the growing lie. Instead, they were content to sit back and enjoy the show. 2. The tomb where Jesus was buried was empty three days after his death. If Jesus' tomb wasn't empty, then what prevented the Jewish and or Roman authorities from opening the tomb, presenting the real body of the real Jesus, arresting Jesus' twin, crucifying him and burying him right next to his brother in the same tomb? There are only two answers. One, Jesus' tomb was empty, or two, everyone was too busy, too lazy, too uninvolved, and so forth to do so. If Jesus' tomb was empty, then either Jesus rose again, in which case Jesus supposedly having a twin brother would be a so what factor, or we are forced to include yet another of the theories to explain Jesus' resurrection, all of which to date have numerous problems on their own, and none of which would be any more credible by adding the supposed theory that Jesus had a twin brother. D. Jesus' disciples and countless others reported seeing, touching, and hearing the physically resurrected Jesus. In these encounters, the disciples saw the nail wounds in Jesus' wrists and the piercing from the Roman spear in Jesus' side. Consequently, either the disciples were lying about these crucifixion wounds on the risen Jesus, or Jesus' twin brother would have to be willing to endure having both of his wrists pierced through, his side pierced with a spear, his beard pulled out, and any other distinctive wounds Jesus sustained during his crucifixion as the price of credibly pulling off the plan to substitute for the real Jesus 
who would have had these wounds. E. The disciples reported seeing the risen Jesus ascend to heaven. This means that either they knew about or learned about the plot by Jesus' twin brother to dupe everyone. It also means that they lied about Jesus having ascended, since the only alternative would be that Jesus' twin learned to fly as part of his acting role to play Jesus and his eventual ascension story. Since Jesus' disciples lied about the ascension, we must also assume that they knew that the whole Messiah claim was a hoax and that there was no resurrection from the dead. This now presents a real problem in explaining the psychological transformation that the disciples and others experienced. How does anyone maintain steadfast faith, joy, peace, confidence, reassurance, et al. in the face of persecutions, trials, arrest, torture, and death? Again, at some point, one of the twelve would have been willing, if their story was a lie, to save themselves horrible torture and death by simply admitting that Jesus did not rise from the dead. Instead, they lied and it was Jesus' twin brother all along who started the whole fabrication. But not once, other than this theory, do we have any historical record of anyone making the accusation that the resurrection of Jesus was made possible by the existence of Jesus' twin brother who took Jesus' place after Jesus' death. F. The supposed existence of Jesus' twin brother does not explain why Saul of Tarsus, later named Paul, would give up being a respected member of the Jewish Sanhedrin and instead of persecuting, prosecuting, and delivering Christians unto death, he decided to make up a story about encountering the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. Furthermore, after making this story up, Paul then decides to join the very group of people as their chief proponent and advocate with only the worldly hope and future of enduring the same persecutions, trials, torture, and death with which he himself was all too familiar. Yet we are asked to believe that somehow Paul did in fact maintain the facade of fraud and lies despite all of this up to and including his death, which he knew was scheduled and coming. He had time to confess. He had time to admit the lies and release himself from it all back to freedom. But he decided to continue with the lie nonetheless right up to his death by beheading. In all, when evaluating the allegation and or theory that Jesus had a twin brother who subsequently falsely preached Jesus as having raised from the dead, we find that this explanation provides very little, if any, credibility which would be necessary to initiate the birth of the Christian faith. This theory would hold less potential still to maintain, much less grow the Christian church. In conclusion, this theory is highly inadequate to explain and justify Jesus' resurrection and the phenomena of his church. Because of this theory's inconsistencies and insufficiencies, this theory fails to provide an effective explanation and is therefore logically deficient. Theory number 10. Jesus' body decayed before Sunday and thus disappeared, i.e. the rapid decay theory. 
This theory, like the other 16 theories, consciously or unconsciously stipulates to the presumptive truth of the following facts. 1. Jesus was a historical person. 2. Jesus was crucified. 3. Jesus died. 4. Jesus' body was placed in a known, accessible tomb. And 5. The tomb where Jesus was buried was empty three days after his death. If these were not the facts, then there would be little, if any, point in discussing whether or not a body, which never existed to begin with, somehow violated the existing laws of decomposition and completely disappeared in three days or less. It would not make logical sense otherwise, because if Jesus had not been crucified and died, there would have been no body to decompose. Likewise, it would be impossible to come to the conclusion that Jesus' body had decomposed if we did not know where his body was. Lastly, making the claim that Jesus' body had decomposed in three days or less would be impossible if Jesus' tomb was still occupied by his corpse. Thus, all five of these presumptive facts must exist as a factual basis for the above excuse to even be lodged as a potential valid explanation. As we continue our examination of this theory, we encounter the following problems. A. Atheists and skeptics who pose this theory labor under the belief that contrary to the natural laws which they themselves demand are inviolable anywhere else, they are somehow not in effect here, therefore allowing for a corpse to completely decompose and disappear without trace in three days or less. Atheists and skeptics ostensibly pose this theory because natural law prohibits explaining Christianity by virtue of the resurrection of someone from the dead, which would constitute a miracle which is impossible in the worldview of the atheist and skeptic. If they do, then they cannot conveniently ignore their own laws by posing this theory. Put another way, if natural law can be suspended, allowing a body to decompose in three days or less, then natural law can also be suspended by allowing Jesus to be resurrected. B. How did anyone know about the decomposition of Jesus' body? If Jesus' body decomposed in three days or less, either there was enough of a mess left to indicate that this was what happened, or there was absolutely no trace of anything left which would provide no indication of decomposition. If there was a mess, then the disciples lied regarding seeing, hearing, and touching Jesus' resurrected body. If there was nothing left at all, then firstly, there would be no evidence to give rise to decomposition, and secondly, the absence of Jesus' body could be assumed to be many things, including resurrection. C. If there was a mess indicating that Jesus' body had decomposed, then either we are to assume that the disciples cleaned up all evidence of decomposition in order to further their anticipated lie, or they left the mess which could easily be discovered by the Jews and or the Romans once the disciples began disseminating their lies. 
This would also mean that neither the Jews nor the Romans took the time or effort to check the tomb and discover the truth so as to expose the disciples' lie. D. In either case, whether the disciples knew that Jesus' body had decomposed or Jesus' body was missing, if they did not see, hear, and touch the resurrected Jesus, then they were lying. If the disciples were lying and knew that they were lying, then we are right back in the same boat containing the theory regarding the disciples making the whole thing up. E. This theory fails once again to explain how a decomposed or missing body of Jesus would cause the psychological transformation demonstrated by the disciples and others for the rest of their lives despite persecution, arrest, trials, suffering, torture, and death. F. This theory fails to explain how Paul could be converted from an avid antagonist of the Christian faith to an avid apologist of the Christian faith by a decomposed body, by a lie, or by secondhand information. Ultimately, Paul lied when he stated he encountered the resurrected Jesus, which would have been difficult, if not impossible, given the fact there was no body now in existence. In all, when evaluating the allegation and or theory that Jesus' body decayed before Sunday and thus disappeared, whereupon the disciples subsequently falsely preached Jesus as having raised from the dead, we find that this explanation provides very little, if any, credibility which would be necessary to initiate the birth of the Christian faith. This theory would hold less potential still to maintain, much less grow, the Christian church. In conclusion, this theory is highly inadequate to explain and justify Jesus' resurrection and the phenomena of his church. Because of this theory's inconsistencies and insufficiencies, this theory fails to provide an effective explanation and is therefore logically deficient. Theory number 11. Jesus was a Zen or yoga master. He learned how to simulate death, practiced it on Lazarus, and finally performed it on himself. This theory holds that Jesus went to India or some other location where he studied, learned, and mastered ancient and secret techniques which gave him the necessary discipline to simulate death to the satisfaction of all but the most advanced medical experts using special equipment. Jesus tested his abilities and techniques on a dry run using his close friend Lazarus and was able to the satisfaction of everyone give the impression that Lazarus had risen from the dead. Afterwards, Jesus used the same abilities and techniques on himself to convince his disciples and others that he had risen from the dead. However, this theory, like the other 16 theories, consciously or unconsciously stipulates to the truthful premise of the following presumptive facts. 1. As with all 17 theories posited, the central common denominator that they share is that Jesus' tomb was empty. Without an empty tomb, the theory that Jesus had risen from the dead by any means would have been a moot point. Finally, this theory, like each of the remaining 16 theories, assumes one or more of the 11 presumptive facts presented earlier as a factual basis. 
In this case, lodging the allegation or theory that Jesus was a Zen or yoga master who learned how to simulate death, practiced it on Lazarus, and finally performed it on himself stipulates to the following. A. Jesus was a historical person. B. Jesus was crucified. C. Jesus appeared to have died. D. Jesus' body was placed in a known accessible tomb. And E. The tomb where Jesus was buried was empty three days after his apparent death. Now, if Jesus was not a historical person, then there would be little, if any, point in discussing whether or not Jesus mastered anything, much less the appearance of death. It would not make logical sense otherwise, because if Jesus had not been crucified, or if there had not been some other mechanism where he ostensibly died, then there would be little reason for anyone to be amazed that he had survived or come back to life when he had never given anyone reason to believe he had died. In other words, this theory really poses the idea that Jesus was a charlatan, a faker, a liar, and someone who, like a magician, possessed the necessary sleight of hand to fool people. But everyone knows that a good magician needs to make the illusion believable. In this case, in order for Jesus to get people to believe that he had supernatural powers over death, he would have to make his death seem very real indeed. It would take more than simply falling over and pouring ketchup on his lip and holding a daisy to convince people. Likewise, it would be impossible to come to the conclusion that Jesus had resurrected or that Jesus had pulled off some feat of prestidigitation if the tomb where he lay was still occupied by his corpse. Thus, all five of these presumptive facts must exist as a factual basis for the above excuse to even be lodged as a potential valid explanation. As we continue our examination of this theory, we encounter the following problems. A. The situation of Jesus' trial, scourging, crucifixion, death, and burial, unlike a magic show in Las Vegas, was a predicament that the man Jesus was not in charge of. It is easy to look back at the events in hindsight and know from memory what would happen next. Unfortunately, many aspects of Jesus' ordeal were unique and could not have been anticipated, controlled, or orchestrated. B. Even under structured circumstances, it would be exceptional for someone to master controlling their respiration, heart rate, stress, and remaining vital signs to the point that one could assume the appearance of being dead to the average layman. But how does one practice undergoing and overcoming these things when one has been arrested, when one is under six different trials with life and death on the line? How does one compose oneself when angry enemies mock, spit on, slap, strike, and accuse you of capital crimes? How do you command your body and senses not to panic as you are beaten with a Roman flagrum and the flesh is torn from your body until you are a bloody pulp? 
how do you practice being crucified with your wrists and ankles pierced through with nails driven by a large hammer as the entire weight of your body hangs on those nails? How do you prepare for a spear being pierced through your chest into your heart? How does one trick four trained Roman executioners to imagine that any human could transcend the shock, the pain, the trauma, and the horror, and somehow manage to consciously place oneself into some state whereby all of this and more does not kill you, exceeds the imagination necessary to simply say, Jesus resurrected. In other words, it is easier and more plausible to believe that Jesus died and rose again than to believe that a mere man, any human, could endure what Jesus had to endure and somehow lived through it via some special secret squirrel training. C. Assuming Jesus performed this feat, this miracle equaling resurrection itself, Jesus would still have to wake himself in a cold, dark tomb, extricate himself from 75 to 100 pounds of a sticky myrrh and aloes embalming his body, find the tomb door, and roll a 2,000-plus pound stone uphill by himself in what surely would have been a debilitated condition due to the energy exerted from circumventing his death, Jesus would then need to sneak past or fight the guards so as to escape. D. Lastly, Jesus either learned to levitate in order to demonstrate the appearance of ascending to heaven, or Jesus tricked the disciples into believing that he had ascended, or the disciples lied. In any case, Jesus was forced to go into hiding for the rest of his life so as not to be seen again and thus spill the beans. E. This theory would ultimately require that Jesus would have help from one or more of his disciples to pull off this, his intended hoax. If so, we then have a problem explaining the psychological transformation which occurred with those disciples. Once again, there is no way that a known hoax and lie is going to provide the motivation to remain steadfast in the lie through persecution, arrest, torture, and death. F. We must assume that Jesus made special appearances to many, including Paul, and was able to convince everyone that he was alive. He was the Messiah, and he was Lord. Thus, in the end, Jesus was a master liar, manipulator, and deceiver, in addition to being the greatest ascended yoga and Zen master who ever lived. In all, when we uh, evaluate the allegation and or theory that Jesus was a Zen or yoga master, he learned how to simulate death, practiced it on Lazarus, and finally performed it on himself, whereupon the disciples subsequently falsely preached Jesus as having raised from the dead, we find that this explanation provides very little, if any, credibility which would be necessary to initiate the birth of the Christian faith. This theory would hold less potential still to maintain, much less grow, the Christian church. In conclusion, this theory is highly inadequate to explain and justify Jesus' resurrection and the phenomena of his church. Because of this theory's inconsistencies and insufficiencies, this theory fails to provide an effective explanation and is therefore logically deficient. This concludes this episode. 
please join me for part eight of this series. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Bye.